November 3rd, 2021. Let's, let's continue in our discussions of Parashat Bereshit and different themes that seem to emerge from the parasha, if you read it carefully, and the class I entitled Living Outside In, of course, a spin on Inside Out, but Outside In, and hopefully very quickly you'll understand why. I want to begin with the pasuk in Perek Bet, which describes the beginning of humanity. Vayiser, Perek Bet, pasuk Zayin, Adonai Elohim et ha'adam afar min ha'adama vayipach be'apav nishmat hayim vayhi ha'adam lenefesh haya. Of course, a loaded pasuk for many reasons, and Rashi just focusing on one specific aspect that Athar min ha'adama questions, although he doesn't say explicitly what he's asking, where did that Athar come from? Where did the dirt of the ground come from? It sounds like a insignificant question. If he's asking the question, he's speaking more about reality and more about significance. And so as a result, he gives two options as to where that ground earth of, uh, of Adam uh, came forth from? What did God collect it from? First interpretation, Rashi, Savar Atharo, he gathered, God did, in creating Adam, Mikol Adama, Me'arbat Ruhot, from ground and land throughout the world from the four corners of the earth. Shekoma Kom Sheyamut, as a result, any place that Adam will die in, or anyone who descends from Adam, sham it'll be a natural re-encounter re, uh, re with the ground. If you came from the ground all over, as a result, when you're returning to the ground, well, it's ground that you're already familiar with, that your body, so to speak, can find in it its origins. So the first interpretation of Rashi is it's dirt from the four corners of the earth. Alternatively, says Rashi, Alternatively, it's not from the four corners of the earth. It's from one single location, and that is from the place where the Mizbeach would be. The Torah says, Mizbah Adamata Aseli at the end of Parashat Yitro. This is the Mizbeah which was made out of earth, or should have been made out of earth, and as a result, Halevai Kivyachol, God said, if only Tihielo Kapara, he should have atonement, he should achieve atonement, Viachola Amod, and in turn, he'll be able to stand on his two feet. A description, two very different descriptions in Ashi, two very different options as to where that dirt came from. It's a davar acher. They're not necessarily complementing one another. It seems to be contrasting one with the other. It's either from the four corners or from one solitary location. I want to just break down those two opinions and try to understand what is it that those two opinions are really speaking to. It's hard to argue they're actually speaking historically. Uh, we have no idea historically and the significance historically, if it's to stay static in that respect, is hard to discern, other than there's something significant in terms of the depth of who we are as human beings, what we're seeking in our humanity, what our origins truly are in the description of either the dirt coming from the four corners or from underneath the Mizbeach. Next step. The Gemara in Masechi Kitubot and Daf Kof Yod Aleph and Mudalaf has a well-known statement. As a matter of fact, Harambam cites in a different context. Amar of Anan, a similar context. Kol HaKavur Be'eres Yisrael, any person who's buried in the land of Israel, ki'ilu kavur tahat ha-mizbeach. It's as if that person was or is buried underneath the Mizbeach. Ketiv HaKa, on the one hand, the Pasuk says, Mizbeach Adama Ta'aseli. And the Pasuk describes how the Mizbeach is made of Adama. Uchtivatam ve'kiper Adma To'imot. Pasuk describes how there's a kapara from 
Adama, kapara of the Adama is after your death, is the vision of the Gemara, and in turn, just being buried, I know it sounds funny, and sometimes people have a way of making fun of it, really, he lived his whole life in America, and is being buried in Israel, there is a statement in Talmud, it is codified by the, uh, by, by, by Bam, if I'm not mistaken, by Shohan Aruch as well, it's a Gemara Masechi Kitubot, what's the depth of that, what does it mean to be buried in the land of Israel, after your soul has departed, what's the significance of your body returning to the ground, you will note, however, we're talking about this Mizbah Hadama over here as well. Already, says Maharal in his Chidushe Agadot to that Gemara Masechet Kitubot, perhaps there's a linkage over here between this Gemara and that statement which Rashi cited from the Midrash about the dirt of humanity, which brings forth human beings, coming from underneath Makom HaMizbeach. Here's how Maharal suggests it. Maharal has a running theme in many of his commentaries, and it goes like this. It's going to be significant to the class. The middle of something oftentimes defines that something. Anything on the sides is peripheral to the middle. The middle will define it. For example, just to give a very easy example, if you'll look down on the page to source number five, this is my own source. It's possible Maharal calls attention to this elsewhere. The Gemara Masechet Kiddushin and Daflamid talks about how the early rabbis were known as Sofrim. Of course, Sofer you might interpret as a scribe. So as the Gemara, they weren't necessarily scribes, but they were rather counters. They counted. Why were they known as counters? Because they would count all the letters and all the words in the Torah and all the Pesukim in the Torah. For example, the Gemara goes on to explain they knew and they had a tradition what halfway through the Torah in letters was, what halfway through the Torah in Pesukim is, what halfway through the Torah in words is. Who cares about each of those? What's the second? The Gemara goes on and says, same thing they did in Tehillim, and it gives you all of those as well. Who cares what the middle of each one of these segments is in terms of letters, words, or sentences. What's the significance of that? What the Gemara is, is, is alluding to quite simply and clearly is that the middle will oftentimes define or should always define the essence of what you're analyzing and trying to understand. You might be aware that uh, Rani Benin, when he analyzes Tehillim, everything begins with the middle. Everything begins with the middle, and then he analyzes outwardly. I told him more than once, he's well aware, he's basing himself on this Gemara, we have tradition for this. But Maharal beyond that says that's significant in general. When you're analyzing the way, it's for that reason that the Hachamim and Maharal cites it over here, envision Eres Israel as being the middle of the world. If I'm envisioning it, so to speak, as the vantage point through which I can refract existence, it's got to be the middle. As a result as well, says Maharal, take a look. He quotes from a Midrash that the Mizbeach is in the middle, smack in the middle of the world. And as a result, pause for a second, what does that have to, have to do with kapara? This is parenthetical, but it's significant. Maharal, much like many other Jewish thinkers, envision teshubah and kapara in turn as a return to self. What are you returning to? To yourself. Well, that means to say, myself is going to be defined, quote unquote, as my middle. As a result, therefore, it makes a lot of sense that the achievement of kapara through mizbeach will be in the placement, physically even, or at the very least, conceptually, on the middle. So kapara of the mizbeach has to be in the middle. Well, you understand perhaps the next steps now. Adam kaparato. 
Remember the words of Rashi that we began the class with. The second interpretation of Rashi is that the dirt was taken from underneath the Mizbeach. Halevai, that should be the kapara for human beings. How so? Well, if I'm to envision, go ahead, Bunny. Question. Oh, oh, if I'm to envision, well, myself, and I'm thinking about the middle in turn, right? The middle is going to define who I am. Well, it means then that my achievement, so to speak, of kapara is being re- a return to myself. Well, where is it then, conceptually, that I began? Well, I began in the middle. What's the middle? The middle is makom hamizbeach. You understand how all these things kind of come together, says Maharam. Well, that being the case, if we're to envision it, again, as the perspective being, makom hamizbeach is designating middle. Middle is essence, is self, is the true self, the true source. Well, then it makes sense as well. If you're buried in the land of Israel, we can link that together with burial, so to speak, by the Mizbeach, that kapara of the Mizbeach, you're finding your way back to your origin. You're finding your way back to a true self. That's a description of Maharal. That's a high description. For our purposes, more than anything, it very much, it very much paints, at least I believe, it paints this description in Rashi, that second description, that of underneath the Mizbeach as describing a certain essence. So where did and what does humanity come from? What are we truly? We are from the middle, from the source of existence, from the middle of the world, from the middle of life. That's where we derive from. That's the second interpretation in Rashi. Of course, it'll get you thinking a little bit about the first interpretation in Rashi. That one stands to reason. That one makes a lot of sense. We're linking it up with this Gemara Masechi Ketubot to describe ourselves as emanating from the source of existence. We are of beings who, who come from Mekor HaChaim, which quote-unquote is the middle of the world, the middle of everything. That makes a lot of sense. What about that first opinion in Rashi? What about coming from the four corners of the earth? It sounds like quite the opposite. Coming from the four corners of the earth sounds like anything but the middle. Is that who human beings are? Are we so distant in our essence from the source of existence? That's consistent with Adam from one end of the earth to the other. In what way? I'm not certain. In other words, Adam, that's a description of once Adam is alive. I imagine imagine what you're saying is as follows. And then what he's saying is, if I'm describing him as coming from the four corners of the world, I'm then going to describe him as spanning the entirety of the world, which is very nice, which is very, very appropriate. What does that mean, though? What am I supposed to understand? If, if you speak to me and you say to me, well, listen, the description of coming from underneath the Mizbeach means that who are you at your core? You are at your core, emanating from the most divine place, from the origin of it all, and we'll elaborate on that. If you say to me, no, you kind of, you were gathered from throughout, and as a result, you're all over the place. Well, that doesn't sound so, so exciting. It's a lot more exciting when you say that I span, like the Gemara and Hagigah that you're citing, uh, from one corner to the other corner, from earth to heavens. All right, you're talking about strength. Uh, strength. I mean, is that, is that who we are? Are we just strong? Are we, uh, that's, that's, in short, that's what I want to try to understand a little bit, a little bit more. It will, again, bring us back to old themes and discussions. All right, well, that's... 
correct. That's why that's why in your initial in your initial linking, I wasn't so certain. But the fact that the Gemara's description is from one side of the earth to the other kind of does ring a bell, bell in this respect. But correct. That's why. In other words, you could very easily just as well argue that you came from under the Mizbeach, but now you're able to spread out that way. Uh, sorry, Rav. Rashi, quote unquote, is anachronistic over here. Rashi is talking about before placement in the Gan. That's the Pasuk. The Pasuk is before placement in the Gan. Of course, it's before Mizbeach, before, the, quote, the necessity for Kapara, unless we argue that you had Teshuvah prior to the world, right? Before necessity for Kapara, before existence of death, and so forth. So that's why, again, it brings me back to the point that she has to be speaking conceptually and less in terms of death defining this specific circumstance. Was, was, was it the Russian Russia, double given by Yitzhak? Yeah, that is a double Yosir, double Yesira, but I don't know what that's, that's, is that's that, like. Is that, I don't think it's not the. I mean, the pasuk already is alluding to neshama and goof. You have that already in the. I don't need to go there right now. I mean, I. All understood. Not going to bother me in this specific context. In this specific context, uh, it's too far for me. Uh, well, uh, again, so that, but that's that's really what I, I want to just deal with these two opinions. Again, the second one being a little bit easier to define and to associate with, but we'll see. Uh, the other, that of the quote-unquote outside, being taken, and now you kind of already understand the, the title of the class, living outside in, it's a description and it's envisioning those four corners and then bringing them together. Uh, we're going to see that more than once. Take a look at... Sorry, go ahead. Why, why are you going back to self in the middle? I'm Maharal's description back. throughout I'm is... Me going back to myself is to say me going back to the middle. To the middle. The middle is self. Not... Maharal's theme throughout, and we'll find it in Divrei Chachamim, is that middle, for example, Evan Hashetiyah, which the Gemara we're going to talk about in just a moment, is envisioned as the source of life in the Gemara, and furthermore, the middle of the world. Time and again, the Chachamim will allude to the fact that the middle is conceptually to be envisioned conceptually. Conceptually, the middle of something defines its essence. It's for that reason they seek in a perfect text, the middle line. The middle line is, middle line or middle word is what then spreads throughout and defines it. I mean, if I'm in the process of being, I'm not in the world. Well, I understand you. I I, I do understand you, but I... uh, of course, of course. If you are in the process of being, so you might not find yourself in the middle, but when you define who you truly are, where you began, so to speak, you think about the middle. You might now be on the peripheral, periphery of the middle, but you began in the middle. So to define who you truly are, maybe you're on your voyage far from home, but ultimately speaking, you're making your way back. Again, that is Teshubah, according to many of the, uh, you know, the, the, the Jewish thinkers, and I'm hal included, according to my understanding, in Ma'amar HaChokmah. All right, well, that being the case, just a step forward. Yes, right, Ricky. Sir, she is giving us two options of where we came from, where mm-hmm. we came from the four corners where we came from. Yep, where that dirt that made us came from. The Gemara Masechet Yomad, Daf Nundaled Amud Bet, says not only, well, my words, not only where did you come from, where did, so to speak, 
the world come from? Says the Gemara de Tanya. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Olam me'emtsa'ito nivra. Rabbi Eliezer's opinion is the world started in the middle, quote-unquote, and then emanated outwardly. Shene'emar, cites a pasuk, which talks about afar, and rigavim, which refers to clumps of dirt. The vision is clumps of dirt are kind of placed upon an initial clump of dirt. You then put other pieces of dirt on top of it. The world began, quote-unquote, in the middle, and then spread further. Not physically, conceptually. That's the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Yoshua Omer, olam min hatstadin nivra. His vision, conceptually, is that the world came outwardly in. Shene'emar ki lasheleg yomar heve aretz. A description of rain, specifically sheleg, we'll get back to it, but the continuation of the Pasuk talks about rain. The rain, so to speak, coming inward and affecting or creating land. Two very different descriptions. Neither one, in my mind, purposed to be talking about a realistic physical reality, but about some sort of conceptual reality. Yeah. We have, what's that? Very nice, Jack. I mean, okay. I mean, I can't tell you I disagree with you. I can tell you, and, and, and you could be our Rabbeinu time of this week, of as we discussed last week. But what I can tell you is each of them are focusing on a different part of it, right? So you, you do know already that the direction I, generally speaking, will go in is that each one of them are speaking to a different truth. And that's what you're kind of describing. I got it. You're, you're talking very... Understood. Understood. Always has to have parallel in a physical reality. Yes, Rick. Maybe. So that's the statement of, of the Gemara Masechet Yoma, two separate visions. Just to spend a moment, a moment further on that description of Shelig, that first opinion, that of Rabili Ezer, coming from the middle, well, he described it by dirt. The second opinion, that of Bioshua, it's the rain, and specifically in the Pasuk, there's a reference to Shelig, to snow. The truth is, if you know Harambam's More, Harambam has a well-known for me, because of Harambam, Pirkeder Bilyezer, source number seven, which made him very, very nervous for one reason or another. He's talking in that context about creation of the world, uh, contrary to Aristotle and Plato, being Biriayesh Me'ayin, being creation ex nihilo, something from nothing. That's what he describes as the Jewish tradition, the Torah truth. Uh, he has a midrash, however, this source number seven, which seems to, and he gets very thrown off kilter because of it, describe it differently. Ha'aretz me'ezim makom nivret. From where was the world created? Again, it's a, it's a very interesting and harambam discussion, perplexing why he gets so thrown off by this. Firstly, he's not nervous to dispel of midrashim. Sometimes he'll say, we don't follow that midrash. Secondly, this midrash need not be taken even conceptually in a direction he's not comfortable with. But anyway, says the Midrash. 
Well, okay, what are you talking about then? So to speak, again, don't take this physically, there was snow which was taken from underneath Kiseha Kavod, it was thrown downward, turned into water, evaporated into water, and in turn uh, makes Afar in the land. Strange description. What does that Midrash want with snow? What does does snow mean to the rabbis? I'm not fully certain about this, but I would suggest the following. There are those who have suggested it before me. Snow in the eyes of the rabbis is very different than something like water or ground even. Snow, if you take a look at the eighth source, Gemara Masech Nidan Daf you'll understand why this is very relevant in just a moment. The Gemara says that Nitma Miksato Lo Nitma Kulo. For example, if there's a snowman that you've constructed or a snowball that you've constructed and the top part of that snow became tameh. Well, what's the halachan bottom part of that snow? Well, if I were to envision this just as a clump of clay, well, it's all one entity. It's all together. Alternatively, when I envision snow, says the Gemara, snow is different. Each one, says Rashi, of the particles of the snow is seen as separate one from the other. That's the rabbinic vision of it to the extent that that's the halakha. Well, if that's the case, I'll bring you back to the description in Pirkei Bilyazer. What's Pirkei Bilyazer saying when it states that the world came from snow, so to speak? It's a description of the world not coming inward to the out, but rather from outward in. It's different particles that are kind of placed together as opposed to it coming from one and then growing outwardly. Again, a description, this one, along the lines of that first interpretation in Rashi of the four corners of the earth, right? Along the lines of Rabbi Yehoshua of Min Hatzdadim. What's that? Okay, I mean, yeah, certainly, but snow is our code word, our rabbinic code word for it. And the white and the white of kapara, it might all be a part of the same thing. Might all be a part of the same thing. At the very least, for my purposes in this moment, but again, you're only complimenting it as these are particles that are placed together but never make a single entity. So to like describe, a, what's that? It's like a sponge in the ocean, there's separate entities, you can take one apart, one apart, it's not... Okay, fantastic. There it is. If you say so, I'll take your word on it. What's that? It's, it's, uh, if we were to have this in Ralph physics, I guess, or reality, he says it's a sponge in the ocean. A sponge in the ocean, he says, are different particles all placed together, but it doesn't make an organic whole. Again, the purpose of me citing this and calling attention to this is to demonstrate that second mode of thought, which is the less intuitive one. Instead of envisioning life and existence in this world and humanity as emanating from a single source of life, it's rather something that's kind of taken from all over and placed together, this heterogeneous type of reality, as opposed to something homogenous that kind of grows outwardly. Again, we're noticing, although we have seen opinions of tahat kiseh kavod or tahat hamizbeh or those sorts of things, what we're noticing as well is this counter opinion. Jack might argue they're both true, but what does it mean to describe humanity, to describe existence, to describe physicality, so to speak, as coming from the outside in. 
This general description of these two visions, and not the first to describe it this way. In the book Le'or HaHalacha, he quotes from the Rogachava, that's Rabbi Yosef Rosin, a well-known, brilliant rabbi from the early part of the 20th century, who makes this connection and several other connections along these lines in drawing together these opinions, specifically of Rabbi Ezer and Yehoshua, because I'll show you another one. See. Keep in mind that Bili Ezer and Bi in source number six, their two opinions were as follows. Bili Ezer is middle and then outside, the more intuitive one. Rabbi Yoshua was the outside in. The Gemara in Masechet Sota and Daf Memhe Amud Bet, for example, asks, where does a baby, an embryo, I guess, begin forming? Says the Gemara, again, it's hard to believe that they mean this in a biological sense other than a conceptual sense. Says the Gemara, Mehechan havalad nosar. Where does the baby begin its construction? Merosho. First opinion is from the head. One or two pesukim. That happens to be the Gemara links up with Rabbi Ezer's opinion. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Ezer, there he is. It's from the head. It's from the head, and then the head being the center of us, of our mind, of our existence, and then outwardly. Abashaulomer mitiburo from the belly button. Well, the belly button's a little bit distant from the center. It kind of is the center of our body, but not the center of when you envision what a human being is. So again, these sorts of two descriptions, it's not him, it's not only the Raghachavah who links up these two opinions. The Midrash itself, I found in source number 11, and Midrash Tanhuman Parashat Pikudeh, talks about the Mishkan. The Mishkan, we talked, well, let's see. HaMishkan Shakul Keneged Kol HaOlam, Ukeneged Yesirat HaAdam. You should know, the Mishkan, one part of this we already developed in an earlier class. The Mishkan has many pisukim, we'll return to this at the end of the class, which parallel creation of the world. All right, so that we kind of know. But it's similar as well, says the Midrash, and the Kubalim are very fond of calling our attention to this, to the uh, existence of a human being. Shehu olam katan, after all, we are each a microcosm. And when God created the world, he created it like a baby. How so? I'm sorry, I, I misexplained, but that's the last source, source number 10. The Tiburo is envisioned as the middle, according to this Midrash, right? The Tiburo, the belly button, is the middle, and then it comes outward, as opposed to the head, which is kind of the distant from the middle. And that's the way the description of this Midrash goes as well. Creation, according to the rabbi, starts from this Evin Shetia. This is Rabbi Ezer description from the middle and then it spreads outwardly just like a human being and we can even argue this one somewhat physically starts in the middle and then spreads outwardly as well again more than anything i just want to demonstrate to you two different vantage points two different perspectives of how to envision how to understand reality how do we understand reality as a human being as a uh, as a sentient being in a world which in some way mirrors our own existence are we to envision it in the more intuitive way as emanating from inward and then out or alternatively in that hard to understand way of outside in. Rabbi Ezra says it's inward out. Says Rabbi Yoshua, outside in. Now take a step back for a moment. 
And think about how we've discussed and developed different concepts in past weeks in terms of, in terms of, well, most specifically last class, in terms of how to envision our seek and our seeking and, pers- and our search for, for truth. How do we envision truth? Well, truth, so to speak, is, is that centerpiece, right? Everything stands on truth to a certain extent. How do you find truth? This is what we discussed in past classes. Can I, should I see the whole world through those lenses of truth? But I live in a world of sheker, say the malachim to God. How can humanity seek truth? Humanity is, after all, filled with falsities. Alternatively, we had the counter-argument, that of Betileu. Don't just zoom into and see the whole world through the vantage point of truth. Rather, live the world as a human being. And through living as a human being, in a world of disparities and lies, find truth. The example I gave, I'll give it again, once again, is to be able to live in a world of humanity means to be able to or to necessitate uh, our ability to interact with human beings. If I stand for truth, well, why do I have to talk to you? I'll just seek truth without dealing with you. If I don't deal with you, I will fail. 99,000 times out of whatever, 100,000 plus, or whatever, I will fail. If you don't play the politics, if not more, if not always, you won't be able to be successful. A tov and ra existence is an existence which defines us as human beings, and it is the only way that we can actually find truth in our lives. Well, if that's the description here, well, think for a moment again about that middle piece. The middle piece being that source of life, that source of life almost like an etahayim, which we'll come to in just a moment, an emet and sheker existence. Right? That's a vision, that's a perspective of where I'm headed. But how do I live as a human being? Do I live as a human being who's constantly plugged into the black and whites of existence? Do I live as a human being who can only see true and false well, if you live as that sort of human being, it's hard to believe that you'll actually find it. You'll unfortunately find yourself in very strange circumstances where you have fanatical views on specific matters, losing sight of reality because you are a human being surrounded by a world and society of human beings, and in turn, you lose track of what truth is in this world of Tov and Ra. That being the case, I think I'm shedding light on that second opinion. The second opinion in Rashi, which he listed first, the Arbak, the Arbaru Hotaaretz, the creation of humanity being from around, being an outside, finding the inside from the outside. To give you another practical example, my vision of halakha may be contrary to others, but in my mind, it's got to be the way it works. Halakha works as follows. You might imagine that halakha works as a scientific system, and that is, there's a singular truth, and over time it's been corroded, and as a result, as long as we can rediscover it, we'll reestablish truth in the realm of halakha, and as a result, all the things that you're doing, quote, wrong, I'll find in my earliest text that you're wrong, and I'll change everything. I'll get up at the podium on Shabbat, I'll announce to the synagogue that X, Y, and Z I've discovered based on my renditions, my understandings of the earliest text, and I'll prove it to you, you're wrong in what you're doing. And I'll now begin a revolution. Of course I won't begin a revolution. Nobody will listen to me. Well, why won't anyone listen to me? They're wrong. 
uh, perhaps they're not wrong because perhaps halakha, much as the description of life as a human being works outwardly, finding its way inside, which means to say there are developments amongst humanity, human beings, understanding texts, working with truths, are able to perceive ways of acting and tapping into this truth. It might not always be a clean system. It might oftentimes appear as if it contradicts an earlier text, but it has solid grounding nonetheless. The way halakha will and has developed is through an outside and then making its way inside system. So as a result, for example, the most controversial perhaps today is, is Yom Tov Sheni Shal Galiot, should we do away with it? The second day of Yom Tov, it's a mistake, is it not? We now know the establishment of the months. We know when the new moon is. We have no issues with regards to that. Gemara Masech asks that question. Answers the Gemara, Minhag Avotenu Biyadenu. That's nonsense. That's ludicrous. So your Minhag is with you. So do away with your Minhag. Change your Minhag. If you live an inside existence, which only then stretches outside, indeed, I don't understand the answer of the Gemara. Minhag Avotenu Biyadenu is ludicrous. You've been doing it. So change what you've been doing. If alternatively, the way halakha works is the way our lives work, is the way the world works, and that is that there's a certain messiness to it. We're kind of working this out, and we're making our way internally. We're now working as a community to discover through activity, through tendencies, through a tov and ra existence. It will take time, but as we make our way there, we have to be living in that world of tov and ra on the march toward emet and sheker. There are so many other examples that I could throw your way in the context of halakha, but I'm convinced that's the way halakha works. And the way it was purposed to work. It's the words we mentioned last week of How can they both be right? Well, they're speaking to different realities. Betilel is speaking to the human reality, as we discussed. The human reality is such that, although you're doing this, it might not be touching on deen, on existential truths, quote-unquote, but it is true nonetheless. You're human beings, and that's your tendency, and that's what you're working within. Go ahead. Not so, so fast, because Lishkata Gazit would have to be significant to the extent that everyone, they would have the authority to convince everyone else. So you'd have to have the center, which could then push it outwardly, which I'm not convinced ever really existed or ever could really exist. That's my own feelings about that. To give you one other funny example with regards to what I mean, I've mentioned it more than once because it demonstrates the point very well. I'm not taking halachic stance on this. I'm just telling a story. As I read it, didn't observe it, and didn't hear it from the person who was there. But the legend has it that Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Orbach, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Orbach, a rabbi from Yerushalayim who died in 1995, was asked by a man or by a woman, I'm not certain, you know those pants that women wear, uh, very often, pants that women wear are more sanua or more modest than skirts. And as a result, perhaps we should permit women to wear pants. That was the question. Hacham Vadya Yosef happens to have a teshubah in a circumstance where there's a school in which the students are coming in if they're wearing skirts, wearing mini skirts, and the alternative is to wear pants, which are going to be more modest. He's careful in his response, but he does lead them in the direction of pants. That's just, you know, to mention that in the same context. Anyway, so this is the question asked to Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach. So Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach says, you're right. 
So, so, that's, so let's write a tissue of my words. Let's write a tissue bar right now. Write a tissue bar that pans today for a minute. He said, no, not so fast. What's going to have to happen is the first several thousand women who do so will be Oresh Gehinam, the words of the story. After that, it'll be permitted. But do you understand what he's describing over there? He's describing an outside-in direction of halacha. It has to begin outside. It has to begin over there. But it's not true. How could skirts not be tzanua? How could pants not be tzanua? They are tzanua. It's not so yet. We're living in this world of humanity. But you're talking about God's system, the system of halacha. That's right. I'm also talking about the world. I'm also talking about human beings. And I'm describing each and every one of them as beginning outside and making their way inside. Certainly, sure, you can focus in the inside. You can focus. You can have your perspective on emet throughout your life. And you'll find yourself, more often than not, as I've said, like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in a cave, whom when you make your way out of that cave, you'll be burned people because you can't live in a world of humanity and we were placed in a world of human beings. So to search for emet is important. To live a life of absolute emet without taking into account the fact that we're on the outside of that circle is missing the point to push it a bit forward in terms of these descriptions. I'll take a look at the source number 12. This is a bit of a stretch, but I think it's I think, it's, I think it's creative nonetheless, no pun intended. Gemara Masech Bava with no hair at the end. A well-known Gemara, for other reasons, describes a Tanur Shel Achnai. Tanur Shel Achnai was the following circumstance. There was a clay earthenware oven, which the halacha is mekabel tumah. It's susceptible to tumah. If something that's tameh touches it, it becomes tameh. It was broken. It was broken, and then those pieces are then glued back together, not glued back together, cemented back together. Does it now revert to its initial status or not? Well, wait a second, it's a lot of broken shards put together. Initially, it was formed, it was fashioned out of clay, it was a single entity. Now it's a lot of different pieces put back together. Do you understand the demonstration over here? Initially, it was inside out. You kind of took the clay and you crafted something. Now it's shattered pieces glued back together. Says the Gemara famously, Rabbi Ezra says, Tahor. Why is it Tahor? That's not the same thing. That's Sheker. That's outside in. That's Rabbi Ezra's opinion. Remember Rabbi Ezra told us, Rabbi Ezra told us, the world began internally and it only went its way outside. I don't know what he says about Adam being Tahat HaMizbeach or Arba Kanfot, but I'm certain Rabbi Ezra would tell us it's Tahat HaMizbeach. That's his vision. Rabbi Ezra, the Gemara tells us in several places, is Shamuti. He has the mindset of Bechamai, Din. He is a strict letter of the law individual. He can't, that's not one piece. That's a lot of pieces, very messy, put back together. It's not the way it works. Of course, in Yemot HaMashiach, as we mentioned, Gaon Mivilna and the others, Avizel said, we'll follow Bechamai then. That's right, in a world in which you're no longer in a regular human existence, we can then tap into absolute emet. In this world, however, we don't follow Rabbi to the extent that the famous and well-known story afterwards is how he debates the rabbis, tries to bring miraculous proofs for his opinion, to which the rabbis respond, listen to the words, lo bashamayim, he listened to the words. Remember our description last week, bet shamayim, bet which one came first? Was it the heavens or was it the earth? The heavens representing emet, the earth representing tov and ra. What's the response to Rabbi Ezer? Lo bashamayim, he we live in a world of audits. We don't live in a world of Shamaim, and as a result, this entity 
is a full entity, but it came outside in. That's right. In our world, that is a full entity. That's the world we live in. We live in a world of human beings. Well, can I now bring you back to the gun for just a few last moments? I think I need to, because in that gun that the Torah describes to us in Perek Bet, there's a description of something being in the middle as well. It's a little cryptic, but the Pasuk describes here in Bereshit, Perek Bet, Pasuk Tet, Pazuk says that the Etz Hayim, representative of Emet and Sheker. Torahi, Etz Hayim, Emet and Sheker. That is Betochagan. And Pazuk says at the end, and you should know, there was also an Etz Tovara. Says Rashi, says Unkulus. What was in the middle of the garden? Etz Hayim, of course. Listen to the description again. The Etz Hayim, the Emet and Sheker. That makes a lot of sense. The source of life is in the middle. What's in the middle? Etz Hayim. What was not in the middle? Well, the Yetzadat was perhaps not in the middle. The Yetzadat was somewhere on the side. It's a little difficult, though, but before I make that point, Rabbeinu Behaye says it explicitly. says, Rabbeinu Behaye, Be'er HaKatuf, in source number 16, The word betoch means in the middle. That's Yetzahayim. Where's the Yetzadat? Lo ye'aseken Be'etzadat, ki lo porash be'ezemakom ayam in hagan. Yetzadat is somewhere on the external, peripheral area, or at the very least, not straight in the middle. It's a Hayim divinity. It's a Hayim source of life. It's a Hayim emet and sheker. It's a Hayim din. It's a Hayim bet shemay. It's a Hayim rabili ezer. It's a dot. Everything else, right? That's the description all over again in the gun. But then something very strange happens because what happens afterwards is this is conversation in Peregimal between Hava the Isha and the Nahash, and she turns to them and she says, "Umeperi ha'etz in Peregimal pasuk Gimal asher betoch hagan." She says, the etz in the middle. Now, God never said you can't eat from the etz hayim. God only said you can't eat from the etz hadat. She describes the etz hadat as being in the middle of the gun. Do you understand what she just did? She, in that statement, I always say, and Ralph got angry at me for this, that in the moment that she sees the tree and sees in it, tova etz l'ma'achal and so forth, that's the downfall. My suggestion now is, her downfall came even before, and in the description of the Etz Hadat as Betoch Hagan, her description is, it's in the middle. What's that? The same tree. If it's the same tree, it's a vision of what the tree is. Perfection. Same point, but again, same point. The point again is, that same tree in the middle is not the Etz Hayim tree, it's rather the Etz Hadat tree. Do you understand what she's saying? She's shifting perspective from Etz Hayim being in the middle to... Life of humanity being in the middle, the tovim ra, the endeavors of who we are as human beings. That's in the middle. In fact, Ramban, asking this question intuitively, kind of states it has to be that they were both in the middle. Ramban, although quite the Kabbalist, doesn't say explicitly that it was one tree. He says there were two trees and they were both within the middle area. All right, that's how Ramban describes it. What, what Avi Harari is suggesting is as follows. That question of Ramban is not so much a question other than it's a he'ara, it's a note to us to notice a shift whereas the pasuk described quote unquote reality that it's had Hayim is in the middle. That's the source of life. That's the Emet and Sheikh. That's what we're striving for. She, in the moment that she births true humanity, that she births human tendencies, that she takes us out of a black and white world, that she develops and envelops herself in this world of Tov and Ra, it's at that very moment that she says, I associate with 
the four corners of the earth. That, for me, is my middle. That's the description of our initial Rashi again. The initial Rashi describes two different places where that dirt of humanity came from. Did it come from the middle, or did it come from the outside? Both, said Jack in the initial moments of the class. Indeed, both. Why so? Well, the description again. To create the world with deen. Strict letter of the law, true and false. I stand for truth and nothing but the truth. That's quote unquote the way the world really works. However, it's not the world that we live in. It might be what underbellies existence, but when it comes down to it, the world we live in is that world of tov and ra, the world of being all over the place, of working from the outside as human beings and making our way into the middle. I'll bring you now back to last week's class, and I'll conclude with this, and that is last week we noticed two opinions with regards to when, what month the world was created in. According to the Bili Ezer, the world was created in Tishrei. According to the Yoshua, the world was created in Nisan. We paused, we reflected on those two opinions. Let's do that again. Let's notice who the Bili Ezer and Yoshua are for us this week. The Bili Ezer is the one who says the world went inside, out. Rabbi Yoshua said, outside in. They're very consistent in their opinions there as well, are they not? Rabbi Ezer is the one who says, see the world as Tishrei, Reshit, a godly existence. Rabbi Yoshua says, look at human beings, look at human beings, look at the Nes of Nisan, look at the existence of Am Yisrael, who came forth in the month of Nisan. This is a world of humanity, who are working their way inward, who are looking and searching to discover God, but you can't easily find God in everything. If you live that life, you're living in a cave. Once again, I'll now take it one last and final step over here and tell you, as we said earlier in the class, there is this Midrash in source number 21, but you need, you need not go to the Midrash other than read the Pesukim. With regards to construction of the Mishkan, the Pesukim very clearly evoke memories within each of us of creation of the world, right? To the extent that you have Vatechil kol ha'avodah at the end, and you have Vayichulu ha'shamayim ha'aretz v'chosam. It's my favorite examples. And then you have Vayivarech Elohim, and you have Moshe being mevarech, and so on and so forth. You have direct parallels. It's what the Midrash says. The Mishkan was, so to speak, a recreation of the world by human beings. When was the Mishkan constructed? Well, the Pesukim tells us explicitly on Aleph Be Nisan, of course, which means to say, as we cap this class, as we finish this topic, I hope, as we finish this, I leave you with that message and with that realization that the Torah very clearly transitions us from an initial existence of quote-unquote Tishrei. It brings us from the beginning where we saw in the middle of the Gan only Hayim. That was what was Betoch HaGan. That was an existence in the Gan. That was when we lived in the Gan. The decision to bust out of the Gan was the realization that in truth, it's not only, if you want to use Ralph's Kabbalistic words, it's not only an Eitz HaHayim, there's really potential in that same tree to be an Eitz HaDat. That's Hava's realization. That's her realization then that she's going to tap into, quote, the dirt from the four corners of the earth. She's now going to live the life of a human being. That is now a life of process, which is born forth and spread out for humanity in that moment. What does a life of process mean? It means that I'm distanced 
from the origin, from the essence. I now have to envision the pathway toward Hayim, toward Emet and Sheker. To the extent that if you trace the Torah through and you make your way back to the recreation, it's not created by God, but rather by human beings. It's not created in the month of Tishrei, but quite explicitly in the month of Nisan, the description of living outside in is a description of who we are as human beings. It's how to envision the world. It's how to envision Halakha, in my opinion. It's a reality which sometimes, especially for black and white thinkers, is hard to wrap your head around. Why should I envision the world in such a fashion? The world should be mathematical, it should be scientific, everything should make sense. In an absolute fashion, I should ignore psychological studies, make fun of sociological involvements, and my life should be one determined by truth, an absolute truth. You can try that, you can put on your lenses as Bet Shammai, but we will tell you that halacha is like Bet Hilel. You can put on your eyes like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but we'll tell you get back into the cave. We'll tell you there is a time and place for that, but that's not where you are right now. The vision of living a life outside in, which is the description of the Midrash we began with in Rashi, which is the description of that Gemara in Masechet Yoma, is the life as we know it. It's the Tziref Eleha Rahamim. The world can't exist with just Midat Hadin. If the world was just a black and white world, we would be dropping dead constantly. We can't live in such a world. We are human beings. We need a certain fluidity. We need to see the world through emotions, through involvements and understandings as human beings can. And through that, through the gemilut hasadim to one another, through our depth of understanding and a passion and desire for one another and for existence itself, that's where we'll find it. It's only from the outside in. It's a messy journey. It's not as clean and pristine as just moving from the inside out, but it's reality as we know it from that fateful moment when Hava determined that the Betoch Hagan is not just the Eitz Hayim, but it's the Eitz Hadat as well. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.